This is Always Be Watching. You want shows? We've got shows. A new Scandi's teen drama about Norse gods? We've got it with Ragnarok. How about a British drama? It's refined acting in The Stranger. You want a movie? We can do you a movie. How about Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems? How about the hippity hop? We've got some great stuff to take home for the kids with Hip Hop Evolution. This is Always Be Watching. Everything must go. Hey, Chris. Hey, Dan. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I've just got to say, you're really upping the Andy on these uh, intros every week. I'm really enjoying them. Here's the thing you really need to understand. I'm quite bored at work. <laughs> How was, yeah, how's that panning out for you today? <laughs> no, no, I just wrote that a few moments ago. Oh, great. Yes, no, uh, very fresh, keeping it fresh. Um, That's how I play it. Keep it fresh. Have you been watching much TV this week, Dan? I'm going to guess yes. Chris, you know me. <laughs> I, I feel insulted that you even asked that question. <laughs> Sorry, man. What do you think I am? Like, actively going out, seeing people, engaging in the world? I'd be offended if you were because you weren't doing it with me. So, <laughs> and I don't know how many other friends you've got, but... Um, Not many. Uh, yeah, so I would have been offended if I had found out you were going out to dinner and the, the like without um, inviting your old pal, Chris. Yeah, I just... Sorry, just for clarification, because I feel I just said something there and I don't want people misinterpreting what I'd said. You said you know, about the number of friends I had. I said not many. That's not really true. I've got all my TV friends. <laughs> There's Grover and Big Bird. Well, you got Elmo. Nor- you got Normie, Cliff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Woody, Carla. <laughs> some weeks. <laughs> some weeks. Yeah, she could be. Um, she could be a little bit feisty. She's a handful. Absolutely. Chris, um, you're well? I'm well, yes. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, Chris, on this podcast, we talk about TV mm-hmm. and the TV shows we love. Sometimes movies. Yeah. Uh, is that really a description for the show? Yeah. Okay, done. <laughs> Usually you ask me and I come up with some sort of witty type thing, but not this week. No, that's, I reckon that's good. Keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, keep it simple, stupid. Um, uh, it has been a big, it's a big start. It's a big year for TV already. There's so much happening. Well, I feel I've been watching a lot more than I was this time last year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to start. Sorry, can I just say? Oh. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about The Outsider. That's oh, new, yes. That's like the HBO, like Stephen King thing. Absolutely. Have you watched it at all? No. Okay, so you may remember I came in here. I was a bit gaga for the first episode. Mm. Okay, I was totally in. Second episode, I was like crazy for it. Episode five last night, I'm out. Really? I'm wow, done. Wow, that dramatic. No, I realized something, which is increasingly over the last couple of weeks. So Cynthia Orovo, she came into it, and I really like when she's on screen but she's not on screen. She's not the main character in every episode. Right. And when she's not there, the rest of the show feels really flat and I'm just not enjoying it. So I was later on my phone, like paying attention to the phone and like my wife's on the couch next to me and she's on her phone and we're just sitting there and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, I haven't been paying attention for about 15 minutes now. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, stop. We're cutting it quick. Like, that's it. We're done. Wow. Let's pull the pin. How often do you pull the pin mid-series? Well, not often. Usually, no. I'm kind of committed. Yeah. But yeah. Even it's... when you're not enjoying something, you'll still get through it. Mm. I think the fact that it's like a weekly thing where I couldn't just sort uh, of... yes. I couldn't just say to myself, hey, look, I'm just going to see it through for the next like 10, 15 minutes and I'll be back in. And then I'm like right for the next six hours. But I know I have to commit to it again <laughs> next week and the week after and it's too much. Yeah, fair enough. I've already got a wife on the couch. <laughs> I don't need that level of commitment. Will there be any uh, unresolved... Um, story arcs for you that will keep you awake at night? Uh, I mean, there'll be unresolved story arcs, sure, but I'm okay. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear. Uh, can I just tell you about a little site called Wikipedia? 
Yes, it has information about uh, lots of things. But Chris... Yeah. TV, you mm-hmm. watch something, please tell us about it. Oh, I'm glad you threw it to me because I've got somewhat of a segue. A, a couple of... Oh, actually, I think it was quite early in the piece um, when we were st- just studying this. I um, talked about the Netflix show Hip Hop Evolution. DJ Jubilee comes out with it. Same song, identical, which is cool and bounce. If you don't understand it, you're like, well, why does everything have the same damn beat? Like, <laughs> Didn't that song just go off? And you know, but that's just the way it is. This city just take something and run with it. My style came different because I was the only one really dancing. I used to DJ at high school, and we started doing dances and challenges and stuff like that. So I came up with the first dance called Do the Jubilee. So I was sliding side to side, Do the Jubilee. And the next week, somebody else came with another dance, being the Wiener. Okay. Now, Chris, I believe we're talking about hip-hop evolution again this week. <laughs> That's right. So I'm repeating myself. Um, interestingly, so the fourth season has just uh, dropped on Netflix. There are four episodes per season that go for about 45 minutes each. Mm-hmm. So, one of the main reasons I wanted to revisit it is because we are starting to get a very meaty um, history of hip-hop as a genre. Now, sorry, because I was actually kind of interested in the show when he talked about it last time, but I didn't do it because I'm just awful. But the premise of the show was that every season looked at a different era of hip-hop. So, if that's if my memory serves me right, we're just getting closer to modern-day hip-hop now. Yeah, kind of. It does sort of... It's not deliberate... It's not uh, explicitly chronological, because obviously some of these things pop around, and it's kind of... Um, like any musical genre, there's always different influences. And, yeah, and yeah. it drops around between... It's more location-based, I guess, more than anything else, because that's another... I mean... More, more so than a lot of other genres of music, like the location of the um, music is very has very different sounds depending on where in America it's coming from. So um, that's kind of a bit more of a d- separator than the other thing. But yeah, so for the first two seasons, we had a lot of, um, you know, the very kind of uh, the meat and potatoes of the story of, of how this music evolved um, from um, basically in Brooklyn. Um, and... Or in New York, I should say, and how? Um, because I'll, I'll, otherwise, I'll get, I'll probably get shot by somebody. Well, maybe um, me. Yeah, by you. Um, if I identify it to the uh, incorrect borough when there is, uh, you know, when it all sort of popped up at the same time in a few different places. But anyway, um, I need to revisit it, obviously, to get my history again. But yeah, it started with the very sort of origin stories, which was also visited in that. Um, Australian uh, guy who made that show, uh, the fictionalised kind of musical show about hip-hop last year. Very famous, Baz Luhrmann. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was his show called? Um, uh, that wasn't last year. It was actually about like two, maybe up. even three years Shut ago. Up. Life moves fast. Um, so, yeah, where, where he had this kind of like musical style version of it. But it was essentially the same story, kind of tracing the... Uh, and it was fictionalised, different characters. But What's that show called? It was a Netflix show. Yeah, I know. I was just based on it you, too. You keep on talking, I'll... You'll look it up. It up. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was some pretty well-worn territory. But we're, to- we're starting to get into some really interesting stuff. So, season three had some really cool... Uh, stories that, even though that I was quite sort of familiar with some of the um, uh, some of the artists, I really didn't know that much about the stories. But we're starting to get into some really really cool stuff. So season four starts with uh, the bounce movement in New Orleans and how that kind of evolved out of uh, house parties and block parties and the and the um, very you know New Orleans is a very musical place, obviously, and music history is really big. So watching, uh, and but and you know, we we didn't really get a lot of that music out here. I don't think uh, until quite recently. And then, you know, especially you're talking about the early '90s, uh, where they're already uh, you know twerking and doing all this stuff. Sort of words that have only really popped up in our lexicon in the last ten years or so. 
fascinating stuff, um, of which many are uh, little, you know, and there hasn't even been a lot written about this kind of stuff because it's it, it is so locational and it's um, you know all been handed down via oral history over the last kind of two generations. So now, I, I don't really know much about hip hop music. I uh, just sort of across the board. Like I know phrases like twerking. I <laughs> I know it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you reference something called bounce music. Is that the same as like in the gummy bears where you have the potion you bounce around the place? Yeah, that's exactly. It's very very similar. Um, Just think a lot more uh, twerking. Okay. Just like gummy bears, but with heaps more twerking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm picturing that. Yeah. Uh, The show we were talking about earlier was The Get Down. The Get Down, and yes. And that was from right. 2016, so four years oh ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, life moves fast, uh, which I really enjoyed at the start, and then I just kind of, it didn't really hold my attention. It did some interesting stuff. I thought, I, I didn't hate it anywhere near as much as I was going to. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's still sort of, yeah, so all that stuff was following the same thing. But yeah, we're really getting into some other interesting ones. I haven't watched all of season four yet. I've only watched the, the New Orleans one. Um, but we start to get down. Um, there's some. The next episode brings Three Six Mafia into it. Memphis and Atlanta's Little John, which is kind of the next phase in that, which is going to be fantastic. Se- season uh, four, episode three, starts to get a bit more modern with um, the sort of the period of the producer. So like the Neptunes, um, who you, who you will know as Pharrell Williams, um, the composer of the song Happy from that cartoon that you love. Missy Elliott, Timberland kind of stuff and Kanye West starts getting a look in there and then the fourth episode which I'm just desperate to see is about um, basically the mixtape kind of culture that was happening in the 2000s where artists like 50 Cent um, turned around the idea that a mixtape was about a DJ showing off their DJ skills and it became more about rappers rapping over other beats that were maybe not going to be copyright that couldn't be released legally basically because they were huge copyright infringements and how that spawned the birth of Lil Wayne and um, and, a, and a whole nother kind of era in uh, hip hop so it really just takes this excellent holistic approach to looking at the whole thing breaking it down into you know musical style but also location and sort of the the I guess the creative driving forces um, that were prominent with this more successful stuff but from a more generic kind of documentary making point of view I'm just really fascinated by the fact that this is I'm not going to do the maths but we're talking about over 10 hours worth of material so far um, really delving into a quite specific subject matter where else can you think of this uh, you know is, is this sort of unique to our modern streaming Netflix era do you think being able to deep dive so far into something look this is a really good uh, question so I think that we are at a particularly unique period in terms of our consumption of media at the moment mm. where the documentary has taken on a life that I don't think it's ever really had yeah like in a very sort of mainstreamy kind of a way Netflix has really changed the game entirely in terms of what's uh, what types of things we're watching where people are quite happy now to sit down and watch a documentary about food production, yeah, just as they are willing to watch um, season one of The Get Down. In fact, probably more so because yeah. no one watched <laughs> no that one show. Watched that show yeah. But people are more than happy to like watch these documentaries about really sort of niche, like focus sort of yeah. things. So if it like touches on your world personally, like there's that show called The Toys That Made Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, can you think about that? Where you've got some very nerdy people who kind of want to relive their youths, like with Ninja Turtle toys and Transformers and He Man. Losers. Total I can't losers. Imagine anyone like that. I've watched every episode. <laughs> 
But it's a really niche interest sort of a thing. But if you've got a Netflix-sized audience, there's enough people in that audience who are going to want to latch into that. And this is a show that's purpose-made for them. Yeah. This hip-hop show, I've been meaning to watch because it kind of sounds interesting. I know nothing about hip-hop. I mean, what you were saying about trading tapes, I had never even thought about it in that context. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, like, tape trading was just a thing you do to try to get closer to girls. Um, <laughs> giving them the mixtape with, your, the mixtapes. with, with your favorite um, Barry Manilow songs on it. yeah. yeah. How good's Manolo? <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and so I'm kind of interested in this because yeah, I yeah. feel I can fake my way through society by knowing a bit more about hip hop by <laughs> yeah, watching this. Yeah. But I guess maybe a question for you. Um, so just getting back to the Netflixiness of it all, I think that Netflix has been hugely beneficial for the rise of documentary. Yeah, and for things that were previously unexplored or things that wouldn't have the budget to explore them properly, mm. I now think they actually have a platform where they can say, "No, we have a big enough audience to be able to sustain this kind of thing." Give us the money so we can do this properly. And this way you're seeing things like Hip Hop Evolution, which previously might have just been like a theatrical, like two-hour doco. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe even less than that, like just the two or three-part thing that just gets sold like around the world. But here they can do four seasons of, you know, four episodes apiece. Like, yeah. I just don't think you would have seen it previously. No, and it, and it really um, gives you the opportunity to sort of tell more of the story, you know, obviously. So you, instead of just getting the same sort of recycled story that we've had yeah. the whole time and then the other big famous stories like maybe Biggie and Tupac and that kind of stuff, you're actually getting deep down into some of the uh you know the stuff that really people only I, I, i'm sure a lot of it's news to even you know americans where it's like you don't really know what was going on in in you, you know new orleans with rap in the in the 90s unless you were unless you were there or paying really really close attention so and also because of the era that this is so this is something where news and information about it is very much in street press and mm. some sort of boutique magazines at the time like outside of that, you don't get the yeah, news yeah. traveling in the way that you do now. Where if you're interested in a particular sort of subgenre of music, you can just get online and just engage with like that community really easily. There's all these stories which never really made it out of their local regions, yeah. and so this is kind of the opportunity for that to happen. And I should say too that I think it's very, um, it is actually presented in a really easy to consume way, and it's really like there's a lot of music and there's, but there's not like whole performances or anything which can sometimes be a bit of a drag, especially in the hour and a half long traditional kind of music documentary. If you're not into mm. the music heaps and you have to sit through a four and a half minute song that's kind of a turn off for a lot of people yeah that's a deal breaker yeah yeah so it's it's kind of really accessible and it's presented in a way where you're not uh expected to have any backstory really it's it 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 sort of builds it up from the from the ground up which i also think is is very cool yeah i'm I'm very excited about watching the entire uh the the other three episodes of hip-hop evolution on netflix season four streaming now Okay, Chris, also on Netflix is the thing I've been watching. What is that, Dan? I've watched this new Scandi drama called Ragnarok. I'm going up the mountain on Saturday. The mountain? Want to come? Watch out, or she'll recruit you for one of her YouTube campaigns. (sighs) My father took me to the mountains when I was little to watch the glaciers. Maybe I should come. Yes! And we'll paraglide back again. I'm sure I can get us a tandem shoot if you're allowed to paraglide. You might find it disappointing, though, once we uh, get up there. It's all melting away. Still, it's beautiful to see. Definitely worth the trip up there. For the past three years, I've been placing markers to show how much is retracting. Yeah. And whose fault do you think that is? Well, there's, uh, there's lots of people to blame for that. It's a global phenomenon, easy. Yeah, but some more than others. Who's behind the pollution in this town? Hmm. Why do you think we can't drink the tap water? This is the latest in the um, Thor Marvel TV series. Well, it's not that far off. So Ragnarok, 
as you're across your Norse mythology, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a degree in Norse mythology. Okay, can't so, even say it. So all I know about Ragnarok is what I read in comic books, like quite a few years ago, which I'm sure is extremely accurate. I mean, these are all made-up stories anyway, Chris, yeah. so whatever. Yeah, okay. uh, but Ragnarok, if you're talking a story about Ragnarok, you're talking about sort of end of times, it's uh, gods fighting gods, it's dogs and cats living together, yeah. it's end of the world sort of business. Yeah. So the show called Ragnarok, you think either that's a metaphor or there's literally going to be gods and stuff. As the show begins, you've got two teenage boys being driven to this small portside town by their mother, single mother... The teenage boys, one of them has glasses, is a little bit sort of nerdy. The other guy is a bit of a sort of cheeky sort of larrikin type. Anyway, the boy ends up helping this sort of older guy he sees having str- like struggling to get past them. Uh, he's on like this sort of little uh, motorized scooter type thing. He clearly can't really drive it properly. So he gets out of the car as they've been traveling right along behind him for a while. See if he can help him out. Sure. Helps him out. This old lady comes out, well, older lady, she's not like a crone, uh, comes out from this nearby grocer and then suddenly he sort of gets touched with um, something happens to him. Okay, I don't want to say what it is. But anyway, it's like a fairly innocuous sort of an interaction. But as the, you know, days, if not like a week or so of the first episode sort of unravels, he starts to exhibit some abilities. Mm. Like, he's wearing glasses at the beginning, but he no longer needs his glasses. Mm. Uh, he's able to, like, move things and throw things really far, and is like, that's weird. So, for example, and tapping into what you were on about it a little while ago, he picks up a hammer, like a mallet that's gets used to, like, bang stuff around, picks it up, throws it, and it just keeps on going and going. It's like, that's weird. Starts at a new school. There's, you know, the typical sort of thing where, oh, there's like the cute girl that immediately both the brothers kind of, you know, glob onto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not able to sit next to the main sort of guy that we follow through. He can't sit next to the cute girl that's obviously going to become the love interest. But really the sort of alternative sort of angsty girl who's in the back corner who's really interested in environmental issues. Uh, he ends up sort of hanging out with her and they become friends quite quickly. And I'm going to... I'm not going to spoil what happens at the end of the first episode. Right. But the plot takes a bit of a detour away from what you're expecting initially. But what's kind of got me on this show is that I thought about this show and it's about teenagers. It's a teen drama with like a Norse mythology thing sort of wrapped on top of it. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting setup, but it also seems like something that's a little bit light and stuff that we've kind of seen before. I think about the premise of this and I think about, say, that New Zealand show, The Almighty Johnson. I was going to, this is where I was yeah. coming on because I was a big fan of The Almighty Johnson. As was I from the couple of episodes <laughs> I saw before I got distracted and never stuck <laughs> with it. But I follow things like that and we've kind of seen this before. Like, it's not really doing anything that's that sort of great. But the performance and are all kind of quite compelling to watch. And there's something about the setup which seems, it doesn't even feel like it's doing anything entirely different. But there's something about the pace of it that just kind of feels really confident in a way that I hadn't really expected. And I couldn't really latch onto exactly what it is that I find so appealing about this show, Hmm. considering I find the show not really that appealing because it's kind of a little bit done. And all I think that the difference is, is the guy that's writing it is a guy who just really knows how to write TV well. Hmm. So it's this dude named Adam Price. Now, Adam Price is the guy that created Borgen. If you know oh, Morgan. yes. Yep. Huge success. Like, it's a great TV show. It's one of the absolute greats on television. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't watched a lot yeah. of that, but I did watch his next show. Exactly. Um, which is called Ride, Ride, Ride Upon the Storm. Ride Upon the Storm. Yes. That yeah. was a very good show. Because, yeah, I made you watch it for yeah. some yes. work I commissioned for you to do it for SBS. But it was fantastic. I re- really enjoyed that show. Yeah, and really good. And when you watch that show again, it was like it was a bit unusual in that it was a 
family drama about a set of priests. Yeah, and again, it wasn't. Um, yeah, again, it wasn't a completely original story or a mind-blowingly unique concept or anything but like it's that. Just really competent yeah, in the way it's told. Really well-told story. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and all the characters, like they're not really great characters, but they're all nuanced and there's definitely layers to them, and there's something going on with the show. And it was really like high drama though, as well. Like, is this yeah. played at the same sort of level of? I- Earnest seriousness. Yeah. Like, this feels like it's a teen drama yeah. in so many ways. Well, when you say that, and then I c- compare that to Road Upon the Storm, which was very adult, mm. um, I'm wondering if it's... Uh, Look, you're not going to find that much of a difference. Okay. But if you sort of think about... Uh, I'm just trying to think of like a good comparison point. So it's not sort of Dawson's Creek teen drama, no. but it's a little bit more... Um, I've got nothing right now. I've got nothing. <laughs> Not a thing. Well, it's un- incomparable, perhaps. No, it's completely comparable. So there's so many things that we've seen. Uh, yeah, so I was particularly taken with this show. I don't think it's amazing, but also I'm curious to know where the season's going. And if it's anything like Borgen, which was a show that was also trading some very sort of familiar territory, the one thing that sort of surprised me with that show is how quickly I just got sucked into the world of it entirely in a way that it just kind of feels like it is kind of the best what TV really has to offer. And I've had the same thing as well when I was watching mm. Right Upon the Storm. Mm. Yeah, again, like, it's even hard to really wrap my mind around what it is that I'm connecting into the show with. But I just think that when you've got a storyteller who's telling a story that well, it doesn't necessarily no, no. matter if it is stepping within sort of very familiar territory. Absolutely. Because, you know, you can kind of just sort of fall for the charms of the way that a story unravels. Absolutely, yeah, I totally agree. So Ragnarok... Great performances, really interesting, meaty script. Uh, it's a gorgeous-looking show as well because it's shot like in Denmark with mm, like these beautiful, beautiful sort of mountains behind, and it is one of the best-looking shows I've seen in quite some time, just purely from location alone. I don't understand exactly what it is that I'm recommending about this program, but I do strongly encourage not only just watching it but stick with it, particularly to the end of the first episode because something does happen in the show which is going to create an entirely new level and layer to the series that you're not quite expecting. So, check it out. It's very much a teen drama, but I think you're going to dig it. I'm, I'm on board. Chris Yates, tell me, what have you watched? <sighs> okay, well, I have uh, watched something a little bit different this week. It's not exactly new, actually. It's from 1960-something. Um, I'm watching... 1964 was when it originally aired. Uh, it's the ABC television production, The Stranger. Lost his memory... You should see a doctor, you know. No, please. That I do not wish. It is not necessary, I assure you. I'm afraid the police will probably insist upon your being examined. Police? We shall have to ask them to find out who you are. No, please. Rather, I will go away at once. I can't understand why you don't want the police to help you. They'll find out who you are and where you live. Now, Chris, I came across The Stranger on an ABC News article during the week and mm. was talking about this show as being Australia's Doctor Who that's just been rediscovered. What's the deal with this program? Well, I'm glad that you forwarded me that link um, because I would have had no idea about it. And it is something that's exactly right up my alley. And not so much for the Doctor Who um, reference, but more just for the sort of um, archival Australiana aspect of it, which I just find Absolutely fascinating. So this thing, apparently, it only aired... uh, It aired in 1964, played for a couple of years, and then um, it basically just disappeared. Like, they never sort of re-ran it, um, despite the fact that Doctor Who then became incredibly popular 
in Australia. Uh, they never thought to revisit this um, to revisit this program, and I don't know whether that had more to do with the culture of repeating stuff back then or how that worked. But it seems like such a shame. There was obviously a huge amount of time and effort and production put into this thing. And look, I'm only I've only watched the first episode, and it is sucked me in completely, and I'm really I'm really enjoying it. Now they were talking about it being the Australian Doctor Who. Is that a reasonable comparison? Well, it's um, yeah. I read that article, and then the creator of the show, I believe, who was interviewed in the um, or the writer, the writer's son actually, who was uh, interviewed about it, sort of said, "Well, yeah, I can kind of, and you know, it's a sci-fi show, and it was around the same time, but um, and there's some hokey kind of technology and stuff, but they they really did." It, it's really done in a very different way. So one of the main things they didn't want to do was they wanted to make it believable because obviously you have this, uh, you know, unbelievable concept. So the more you can root that in reality, the better. So it looks a lot like the television programs of the time, which of course have that very British hangover and the sort of, um, you know, the talking funny like a newsreel and <laughs> like the way some people on the ABC still talk. But um, really, really pronounced kind of British, over-Britishized accents. Um and it's a focus primarily on the, you know, the the stranger himself is an older man, but the um, the main stars of the show are really the kids at the school, who are obviously not children, but you know, playing um, teenage kind of aged uh, high school to- high school children. So this show is encouraging teenage children to hang out with quote unquote <laughs> the stranger. You, you couldn't really watch it; in, it, it wouldn't be really done in today's context, just for a variety of reasons. <laughs> but um, uh, so so just for the premise, basically, um, the school headmaster. Um, who seems like a very nice man um, with his ch- uh, children who live on the school grounds uh, who are, you know, hi- high school age. Um, one night it's raining and there's a, they, go, they, uh, they notice that there's this mysterious stranger at the front who's passed out on the, um, the, foot, uh, the stoop of the house kind of thing, right? Sounds like it could be any number of my friends. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, again, why it wouldn't play so well today. Um, it's very relatable. Of course, they pull the man in uh, to the house to get him out of the rain and... Uh, he reveals that he has no memory and that he's uh, a complete amnesiac and he um, doesn't even recall why he's there and doesn't know anything about himself. But coincidentally, he does know that he is a teacher and he uh, convinces the principal to hire him as a teacher at the school who just ha- so happens to be missing some uh, teachers at the time. Did he actually remember he's a teacher or did he look at the leather patches on his <laughs> coat? I think he's a... Uh, I think he is... If, if my hunch is that he's not actually a teacher but he's just very well educated in the ways of humans. And so he is... Um, so is he well educated or does he just have a British accent? <laughs> but yes. He, well, actually, he has a European accent because Ooh. he's from another planet. How exotic. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, but it's just so funny that the, um, the the principal is like at a bit of a loss for some teachers. So despite this man having no roots <laughs> in reality or history or having no family connections or any other kind of connection, they can't figure out where he comes from. This is why the job market really sucks these days. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's all these unemployed people. It's because they can't just fake their way into employment yeah. the way you could in the 60s. Come work at our school teacher go high school students so um uh, so it, they end up putting him in a little shed at the back and the only it's been very uh it's 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 playing out nice and slow which is you know i like things that are slow and it's um got to the end of the first episode where uh the kids looking for something else in the little cottage that he's staying in on the school grounds discover a device um which is clearly a high-tech device from the future or from another planet. So I actually get a real kick out of watching things from the late 50s into the 60s. I think the production design on a lot it's of genre shows gorgeous, specifically. Yeah. So it's a good looking show? Gorgeous. And it's all shot. One of the things, yeah, when I was, I, I got a, got distracted by what I was talking about um, 
one of the ways to really root it in reality. There's lots of outs. It's it's nearly all external. So there's heaps of stuff at the actual school, and even I I would I, I don't even think the stuff that's shot in the house is in a studio. It really feels like a house. Um, and they wanted to uh, yeah they wanted to do that in order to sort of avoid I think some of the more um, pastiche. Well, I guess I mean it would have been pretty early days for sci-fi, sci-fi on television then. So I don't even know what would have really come before that. But um, they managed to make it uh, look a lot more real. And, you know, so so you sort of – apparently there is some cool stodgy special effects coming up um, in later episodes. But, the, you know, they play it very, very straight in this first one, which I think would have been a really great way to get people on board in the beginning. And they also um, – uh, according to the interview I've read, it hasn't really got into this yet, but really tried to base the the writer was a stickler for trying to base it in science, and he didn't want to see things um, that were like completely impossible happening. So that's got that kind of dare I say educational element about it as well. But the actual the look of it, the Christmas, the the restoration they've done on it is just unbelievably good. It looks just incredible um coming out of my very futuristic phone device which i point (laughs) at my tv um and the pictures magically appear on there which is probably much more futuristic than the actual device we're going to learn about um yes so if you know i think even more so than just like for science fiction fans i think this is really something for people interested in early australian um, drama and television and how that makes and and of course because it's actually shot outside there's real locations um, it's a nice time capsule of that period as well in the mid 60s in Australia now I'm looking at iview at the moment which is where you can stream this in Australia uh, it's got six episodes they're all about 30 minutes each do you know if there's only six episodes or I, if it's I think there's where they're up to yeah no I think there's 10 and they're dropping them every day they're putting one up a day it was what I think of Fantastic. Well, I'm going to definitely sit down and burn through this. Oh, man, I think it's right up your alley. And especially, like, that's even just from the actual setup. Like, I feel like even without the... um, Yeah, they're they're putting one on. It actually doesn't say how many episodes here, but, yes, one going up every day at 3 o'clock until the finale. Um, Watching it every day would be a bit of a slog, but I'll definitely um, binge a few in a row and try and get through a bit more of it because, yeah, like I say, it's, you know, it plays out really slow and dramatic and um, they're they're just sort of dropping hints at this point. Actually, you know, without knowing that it's a science fiction show, there would be no sort of, there's been no real pointers to that, actually, to the fact that the stranger is an alien from another planet at this point, which is interesting. So effectively what you're saying is it's like heartbreak high. Oh, my God. It's uh, it, it's probably not as good as Heartbreak High, the greatest <laughs> television show ever created by the, the people of this country, but it's uh, a, a worthy uh, feather in the cap of great Australian drama so far. I mean, it's cheesy and it's old and, you know, it has a lot of those um, tropes and cliches that that stuff does, but great. Yeah, uh, this is probably the time where I think I'm actually obliged as part of our contractual arrangement between the two of us that any time that Heartbreak High is mentioned that we do put a open invitation out there to any former Heartbreak oh High God. cast members... Okay, that if you want to participate and always be watching podcast, we'd love to have you here. Crew even. If you if you yeah. held a camera for Heartbreak High, if, you, if you've got any kind of gossip on Jurassic, uh, anything, please get in touch. So that's The Stranger on ABC iView. I don't think they're actually playing it on the broadcast, so you've got to watch it on the iView. And that's a really, uh, hopefully... I, I didn't even realise the ABC was still being broadcast. I thought <laughs> it was just iView. <laughs> um, hopefully, this would be a lovely uh, indicator that there was going to be more stuff coming out of the archive and put onto iView, because that's something I, I and a lot of other people, I think, would be very interested in. Well, they do brand it as Retro Focus Presents, mm. which makes me think that they want to yeah, keep do it going more of the, sort of, of the series. 
archive kind of business. Yes, very good. Please yeah. keep it coming, ABC. Oh, yes. Yeah, so now it's my turn. You, you, you haven't done your second one yet, have no, you? No, I've got one more to go there. All right, all right. I was ready to go get lunch. Uh, Dan, um, tell us what you've been watching this week. I'm so desperate for lunch. <laughs> Chris, I've been watching Uncut Gems. Okay, so I'm watching TV like uh, a year ago, all right? I'm watching one of those fucking History Channel shows, trying to learn shit. And I and I stumble. You ever hear African Jews? African Jews? Yeah. No. Right? No. no. Check this out. To be a Jew. Check this out. I don't know. All right. So these are black Jews. All right. They're stranded in the middle of Ethiopia. It's deep shit. Stranded? Yeah. Look at. They got nothing. They don't got cars. They don't got shit. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, what the fuck are these guys wearing? Look, it's on the Torah there. It's everywhere, right? It's a fuck. Where do these fucking guys get? Precious black opals. That's what that is. The black opal. I do my research. These guys live near the whalo mines, which primarily is red opals, which aren't worth shit. Okay. Oh, okay. But these, these mm. yeah, you can't get your hands on these things. You understand? Really? So look, I say to myself, how do I get a hold of these guys? And I managed to track these guys down. I buy one from them. Holy shit! <laughs> what is that? That's right here. That's the rock. That's the rock. That's the stone. Holy I got it. So I've heard about this. This is an Adam Sandler movie in a, a more serious tone, sort of like his films such as Don't Mess With The Zohan and... Uh, yeah, his art house smash, <laughs> Don't Mess With The Zohan. No, no. So Adam Sandler is obviously well known as being a comedian. Mm-hmm. You know, he's made movies that are both funny and also other movies that he's released. But in addition to those two types of movies, he's also occasionally done some serious, like, grown-up dramatic type business. Like Zohan, as, as mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the obvious you one that... You should see his face right now. It's the obvious one terrible. that... Because I've seen Don't Mess With Zohan, <laughs> and I don't want to relive it. All right. Yeah. Okay, quick. Best right. best Adam Sandler movie from his aura of stupid comedies? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Billy Madison, of course. Yeah. Happy Gilmore. Close second. Um, that's probably that. And Zohan, I'm genuinely a fan of Zohan. No, see, I was going to say Jack and Jill. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's the one where he plays twins, a boy and a girl. Oh my god, I'm, gonna, I'm writing that down. It's, it's going on good. the list. And the uh, woman that he plays, uh, one Al Pacino falls in love with her. Of course, Al Pacino's in it. It's very good. I saw it at the drive-in. It was great. Oof. Anyway. The film that everyone kind of looks to for, you know, the grown-up Adam Sandler, and he's made a few of these types of films now, but Punch Drunk Love is probably, I'd say, maybe the best movie he's done. Uh, not counting Bill not counting, obviously. Not counting, yeah. yeah, Yes. No, Punch Drunk Love, of course, is, is very widely uh, accepted mm. as his... Yeah, uh, as his yeah, best yeah, film. Right, right, okay. Right, right, right. But I'd say Uncut Gems is probably the film that's going to, like, contend as, like, the grown-up Adam Sandler film that people will really be looking to. So, this is a film, the latest film by the Safdie brothers. These are two brothers named Josh and Benny Safdie. And they've done a couple of films. Uh, Good Time was probably the one that most people have seen because mm-hmm. it's on Netflix at the moment. They've got a couple of films under their belts at this point, though. This is a... It very much works like the rest of their films, which are about building suspense and tension. So, when you sit down to watch one of their films, you are on the edge of your seat because everything is constructed to really make you as nervous and uncomfortable as possible, as just all the tension around is just like ratcheting up around you. So, the comparison point that I heard during the week was that if you think about that final scene from The Sopranos, you know, where they sit down in that diner and there's like the tension because you know that Tony might be about to be whacked. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, like as that tension builds, think about that three-minute scene and blow that out to two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. Don't they know how anxious I am already? How can they do this to me? Yeah, yeah. so this is set in New York City. It's based in the, um, like, there's that jewelry district. The jewelry district? Jewelry. Jewelry? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking It's about. almost like rural jewelry, just that. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit rural jewelry. It's the jewelry section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of jewelry stores around. Uh, you know, he's the proprietor of one of them, being Adam Sandler. He's a guy that has uh, lost a fair bit of money to gambling over the years. He's always trying to get like that next big thing. And he's just addicted to gambling. Mm. Okay. Both in terms of with bookies as well as just his own personal life. Mm-hmm. He's got his wife and daughter where he's just screwed up those relationships terribly. Mm-hmm. He's on the verge of screwing up a relationship with that he has with his son. He's got his girlfriend that he has in like this apartment in the city. He's like just this greasy, just like awful guy that is usually a character that's in a movie like this for about like a minute or two and you don't really want to be seeing them again but it's him for the entire film great you know he's got like jewelry hanging off him he's got like a terrible goatee um you know gets around to singlets you know he's that guy <laughs> i feel like you just put off a lot of our singlet wearing listeners right then yeah. but anyway wait I've, I've still got a demographic of the always be watching communities to put offside yeah. gets around a lot of track suits oh god yeah Settle down, settle down. So anyway, he has made a bit of a bet in his life where he's been tracking these gems that he's imported from. Um, just trying to think where it was. It was, let's say Adelaide. You could say Adelaide. No, it wasn't. That it was Ethiopia. Yes. Okay, he's got these gems and he just sort of saw it in this documentary and is like, that looks like it could be something. So he sort of gambles a bit of his money with these guys that may not actually end up returning like some gems to him. But it turns up and it's like these beautiful uncut gems that, you know, he can actually auction off and make a fair bit of cash out of this. Mm. So it's kind of like this little gamble he made is really just paying off in a really big way for him. At the same time, though, he's been somewhat uh, recalcitrant in paying some of his debts to the bookies. And so they're sending guys over to, you know, rough him up. Right. And so he's making all these little side deals and bets to try to make a hundred grand so that he can avoid being pummeled to death. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, these guys are on him and the tension's just ratcheting and building and building and building until the final scene where he has a large amount of money being placed on a basketballer who's been involved in the storyline on and off since then. And he's a real-life basketballer whose name I've not committed to memory because he's a basketballer and <laughs> my general level of interest is not... If it's not LeBron high. James... I don't know That's exactly it. Like, I kind of know LeBron. <laughs> LeBron, Michael Jordan, the helicopter dude. Yeah, and from that point in, the helicopter dude. <laughs> oh, wow. We are getting cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, we are done. Kevin Garnett. This is very much a mood film. This is a film that I did not enjoy watching. No. I sat there and I was I didn't struggle with it because it is such a captivating movie. Mm. And it is such an unnerving movie because it really is just rushing out that tension throughout it. I did not enjoy it. But I will say this. In a couple of days after watching the movie, I can't think about anything that isn't Uncut Gems. Wow. And my passion for this movie has grown dramatically after watching it. So, I'd be curious about watching it again. I don't know if I want to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. I know where you're coming from. But, like, I am very high on this movie. I strongly think people should check it out. And even if, like me, you're sitting there watching and you're like, I'm not really digging this, but there's something that I just find just uh, magnetic about this movie. Mm. Like, stick with it because you're not going to feel any different by the time you reach the end of the movie, but you will definitely feel a lot different after the movie. I had a very similar experience watching um, Don't Mess With The 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. There. Um, funny people. I was going to mention is probably one of my other Adam Sandler movies I quite like. I really That's like really funny good. people. Yeah, me too. It's yeah. excellent. I think we might be the only ones. <laughs> probably. I don't think it did particularly well there. Um, That's great. Well, I'm really glad. I'm I'm interested to hear that because I I kind of. I, I was expecting you to not like that film very much or to not recommend it. So, that's well, very I was, interesting. I was somewhat reluctant to even want to watch it because I just heard all these film critics talking about how great the movie yeah, is yeah. and it's just the best. And I was like, you know what? You just kind of hyped it up too much. And I, I just got the feeling I wasn't going to dig it because. I'm really feeling like that's, that's actually happened quite a bit, I think. Like, I, I, I was chatting to a friend who didn't like um, Jojo Rabbit at all. I don't know if you've managed to see that yet, but I think the expectations set by that. Um, being praised with such uh, like I mean I, for the record I really loved it and I thought it was a great little movie but I was really surprised to see it being lauded with such acclaim and I think that puts people off when they go when they read that stuff first and then they go and watch it and then it maybe doesn't live up to that then they go like oh well that was a disappointment instead of just enjoying it for the for the sort of small to medium movie it was. Can I propose a theory, which is there are so many big budget, just uh, wallpaper sort of yeah. films out right now, which you go into and you just get like a bit of a thrill out of watching it, but it's nothing that really resonates like movies used to. Yeah. That I think that when people actually find a movie that they have like a strong emotional connection to, and it may be a film that like 10 years ago, they wouldn't have had as strong a connection to yeah. it. But because it's such a rare phenomenon to actually get to experience that kind of thing anymore. When you come across one of the good ones, you just really want to talk it up a lot more than I think we used to. There was that person on Twitter who was, um, um, you know, insisting that Scarlett Johansson has to win an Oscar because she was um, crying on a film and there were real tears and doing all this amazing drama. And it was just, you know, that, that was a bit of a reminder that maybe we haven't had the same level of cinema uh, out there as what has been there before. Chris, I'm going to more or less ref- like reflect back to you the exact same words you just said to me. But when I was going through university, I was working in a supermarket job. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that sort of a job is that the staff there are always a mix of uni students, people who've just graduated uni and haven't quite landed that first sort of gig just yet. Or there's some people that have, you know, they're just people that work in supermarkets. Mm. Like it's kind of, it's maybe not necessarily the career they're after, but it's kind of where they've landed. And yeah. they might be there for a few years. They might be there as lifers. Uh, there was a lady I used to work with who was definitely a lifer, yeah. and she was maybe one of the most frustrating people I've ever experienced in my <laughs> life. But she was telling me and every customer who would listen to her how amazing the film Armageddon was. Right. And she said to me, with great sincerity, she looked into my eyes and said, Bruce Willis deserves an Academy Award because he cried in that movie. And for a man as masculine as Bruce Willis to be able to cry on film is an achievement. Well, Dan, she's not wrong in a lot of ways. No, I've never agreed with her more. Um, I, I, could, I could rattle off about 15 times where Bruce Willis deserved an Academy <laughs> Award, though. But that is fair. Probably I mean, it wouldn't be top of the list um, for that. But, but he's such a masculine man, Chris. So good. That is so fantastic. So masculine. Um, it's a, oh God, we, we need to do an Armageddon uh, watch party. Yeah, Come and invite that lady along. Yeah, invite that lady along. Go, how do you feel now? <laughs> Yeah, she, I'm sure she would still agree and I'm but sure it would still be worthy it's only gotten better with age excellent alright well let's wrap it up Uncut Gems Uncut Gems currently streaming on Netflix thanks Netflix you've really taken a, given us a lot of content Hip Hop Evolution Hip Hop Evolution also on Netflix The Stranger on ABC iView in Australia and Ragnarok back on Netflix back on Netflix Oof. where's our Netflix where's our free Netflix Dude, where's the Netflix <laughs> scratch coming in come on Netflix Chris before we get out of here today I want to make a recommendation of something else that people should go and view 
Um, I put it in the Always Be Watching newsletter late, late last week. But if you like your Star Wars... I do. Get onto the YouTube, type in Star Wars Underworld. I saw this from it, your newsletter. It's amazing. Yeah, it is test footage of the Star Wars TV show that never was. If you don't know anything about Underworld, it is an effort by George Lucas to make a Star Wars TV show. He started working on it in the late 2000s after the prequel films had been done. It was an attempt to try to bridge those prequel films to the original trilogy and telling the story of all the bounty hunters and just like the dirtbags of the Star Wars universe. Uh, there'd be lots of stormtroopers involved in it. They did some video tests, which the video footage of that is what's been published on the internet in this last week. And it's this really cool grounder. It's just, cool, right? Yeah. yeah. I couldn't believe how good it was. It looks a bit Blade Runner-y even. Yeah, a little like bit. It's yeah. Got some really interesting... Uh, yeah, I, I can't believe it was that old. I assumed it was only from a few years ago until you said it just uh, It was probably... I'm going to say that footage probably came from like 2012. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, really, really... But yeah, the footage of it leaked. And the idea was it's going to be a 100 episode TV show that they'd written 50 scripts for. And then they realized, no, that's going to cost us a lot of money. <laughs> and I'd say back then, so we're going to say like 2012-ish, uh, back then they looked at it saying TV budgets can't sustain this. There's no way we can really make any money. Mm. This is obviously pre-Netflix and pre-streaming. I suspect that whatever budgets they were working on then probably actually make economic sense now. Mm. But back then they didn't. So they wrote 50 scripts amazing. from all sorts of like just amazing filmmakers and creatives from around the place. Uh, like Ron Moore from Battlestar Galactica yeah, has wow. written a couple of them. I think Kevin Smith did a couple of them. Like it's kind of this weird hodgepodge of creators wow. who just wanted to do stuff in Star Wars have all contributed to this thing that will never end up being made. That's but so there fun. is footage of it now to be seen, and you know yeah. it's it's just interesting to think about a TV show that could have been and how the Star Wars uh, story could have been told differently had that have yeah had that have panned out and Very like cool. wildly different to what we yeah. see now. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that, Dan. Indeed. So check that out. That's called Star Wars Underworld on YouTube.com, a very popular video sharing website. Chris Yates, let's get out of here. Alwaysbewatching.com. People should check it out. Sign up to the newsletter. Visit our various communities at Facebook, Reddit, uh, the bridge down the road where <laughs> I meet up with homeless people once a week and we just chat about the TV we've been watching. It's a community service that you're very generous to yeah. do. Then. They don't really have many like things I've been watching. No, funny that. Yeah, it's awkward. It feels very one-sided, those conversations. But we do that every Tuesday night at 7.30. Imagine a few of your conversations around the place that feel a bit one-sided. So, if you like this podcast, <laughs> leave reviews, helps people find the show. Uh, tell your friends about it. Chris Yates, it's been a pleasure. People, thank you. No, no, Chris, I'm talking. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll be back next week with more of this nonsense. See ya.